something that makes me crazy is when people say, well, I had this career before, but it was a waste. And that's where the perspective shift comes, that it's not a waste that everything you've done has built you to where you are now. This is She Pivots, the podcast where we explore the inspiring pivots women have made and dig deeper into the personal reasons behind them. Join me, Emily Tish sussman every Wednesday on She Pivots. Listen to She Pivots on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. MTV's official Challenge podcast is back for another season. And so are we. I'm Tori Deal. And I'm Anissa Ferreira. The wait is over, guys. All Stars 4 is finally here. And this season takes it to a whole new level. Old school legends, modern power players, and ex-lovers are all competing in Cape Town, South Africa for the prize of $300,000. And we're going to be right here along with you fans covering every episode on the podcast. Listen to MTV's official challenge podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to Hello Somebody, a production of the Black Effect Podcast Network and iHeartMedia, where we rage against the machine, where we raise our voices against injustice and stand up for justice, where we embrace hope and joy with an optimism for a brighter, more just future. Each week, I'll be dropping knowledge, whether it's a solo episode from me or a hearty discussion with esteemed guests doing great things in spaces and places of politics, entertainment, social justice, and beyond. We get real, baby. I mean, really real. We get honest. We get up close and personal for you. Yes, you. Because everybody is somebody. Before we begin, I want to give a special shout out to my team. Thank you, Sim. Tiffany, Sam, and the team over at Good Juju Studios, Erica England, Pepper Chambers, the hot one, and my social media team. Hello, somebody. I hope everybody is doing well. Hope you're easing into spring. I really do. Now, in Ohio and Cleveland, spring ain't sprung yet. I got my dear friend Gary Chambers. Brother Gary Chambers is laughing on the side because he is here with me in the great state of Ohio in the land. And he cannot believe that we are looking at mid-April and it's still cold and snowing and raining that you can get every season in one day in Cleveland, Ohio. But I'm so glad that he's here. So today we're just going to talk about some hot topics. That's what we're going to talk about. What is on each other's minds and what is on your mind today? I got to imagine that if you are among the working class, which most of us are, you just different levels within the working class, you got to be thinking about how high gas is, the cost of food is going up, whole bunch of stuff. So Brother Gary Chambers from the great state of Louisiana by way of Baton Rouge. He ain't bring me no gumbo, not y'all either. Every everywhere, every place we done been in Cleveland, somebody done brought up some food. He can't, probably can't go nowhere outside of Louisiana. People not talking about that good, that good cooking. But yeah, what's cooking? What's on your mind? 
Well, the temperature is not cooking in Cleveland, okay? Uh, I saw snow flurries in April out here in Cleveland, and I don't understand it because it's 80 degrees in Louisiana. (laughs) And so, you know, I understand how y'all stay up here, but God bless y'all for it, okay? Uh, Somebody got to represent. No doubt, no doubt. Uh, And that's why I'm up here for you, sister, because, you know, this work that we are doing is serious. And not unlike Cleveland, there are too many families who their bank accounts are cold and there's not enough food in the kitchen. They're trying to figure out how they're going to make things work for their kids to do after school programs. And how am I going to work in a vacation for kids this summer? Can we afford to go on vacation with gas prices as high as they are? Folks canceling flights so people won't get in the car. Right. Right on the other side of a pandemic, hoping that it don't come back. All our fingers crossed because we all sick of COVID, right? Yeah. Uh, so I think we're just in a very uh, peculiar place. Yeah. But I don't think uh, we are in any phase that previous generations haven't had some form of having to deal with. And the question is, for me today, how much further can I go? Mm. You know? And I have different things that help me recharge. And last week I had uh, Bishop William Murphy come to Baton Rouge and we did a night of worship and that gave me a recharge. When he finished talking, I sound like my elders. I said, I can go on a little further. Come on. I you feel know, like going I, on. I can go on a little further yeah. now, you know. Yeah. And and coming up here with you helps me go on a little further. And so, you know, I'm just pushing to go on a little further. Well, having you here with me makes me feel like I can keep going on, as they say. And you are running. You know, I know that's on your mind. You came here to help your sister, and you are running for the U.S. Senate in the great state of Louisiana. Uh, tell us your whys and how things are going. Well, my why is because I live in a state that ranks 50th in the nation, and I have a senator who is closer to Foghorn Leghorn than he is to represent the people of our state. That's my why. My why is also my daughter, Zoe, and all the kids of Louisiana. When you walked out yesterday, I was telling this African proverb, when they greet each other, they say, how are the children? You hope the answer is the children are well, yeah, right? Uh, because if the children in the society aren't good, then the society isn't good or the community isn't good. And in Louisiana, children are dealing with all manner of things. The school system in the state ranks 48th in the nation. Not enough jobs that are of a good living wage that young people can graduate and become a part of the workforce. And so those people are a part of my why. Uh, how are we doing? I feel like we're doing great. Our first quarter numbers are going to come out. We raised a good deal of money. And we are building a similar strategy to yours, a feel-first strategy. Uh, We knocked our first doors last weekend, and we're six months away from Election Day. So we got a lot of ground to cover, to cover the whole state, but we're after it and on it. And for me, it's about, I know you understand this, managing all the emotions that come with running. Because, you know, you you go from one day, it's all this good news, and the next day is bad news, and it's... It's up and down, and you just have to figure out how to maintain a level head and maintain your emotions through it because the thing that I don't think folks recognize that are not in this position is how much pulling gets done on you as a result of it. And sometimes you have to look up and say, am I me? (laughs) Am I still me? You know. So that's been maybe the challenge of it all. Mm -hmm. Uh, But I feel good about where we are, and for me— I told you this last year, folks may say, well, you're, you've been traveling all over the country. 
Well, a U.S. senator should have an understanding of what people in every part of this country are going through because you make your decisions not just for for the people that voted for you, but for the the betterment of this nation or or should be. A member of Congress is the same way. And so how do you know what Clevelanders need if you've never been to Cleveland? Come on. Uh, How do you know what people in Atlanta need if you've never been to Atlanta? And so we've been all over the country and it's been overwhelmingly beautiful. And so for me, I'm just enjoying the experience, but committed to us having a path to victory, which we do. Yeah, no, I am just incredibly impressed and awe that you would run for Congress and just step right in there and run for the U.S. Senate. Bigger territory when you're talking about the entire state. I ran statewide many moons ago at this point. 2014 seems so long ago, really wasn't that long ago. So I definitely understand the grind, the difference between running in a district or a ward, a state-level district, I should say, versus running statewide. And it is a lot of work. It's a lot of work, but we need you there. I'm so glad that you are doing what you're doing. And then the pause and find time to be with me. Tamika D. Mallory. And it's your boy, my son, the general. And we are your host of TMI. New year, new name, new energy, but... Same old. <laughs> oh, yeah. And catch us every Wednesday on the Black Effect Network, breaking down social and civil rights issues, pop culture, and politics in hopes of pushing our culture forward to make the world a better place for generations to come. But that's not all. We will also have special guests to add their thoughts on the topics, as well as break down different political issues with local activists in their community. If you like to be informed and to expand your thoughts, listen to TMI on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. That's right. We started talking about this incident. Drugs and uh, officials cover up. <laughs> you couldn't believe it. From iHeart Podcasts. It's like the police knew who he was before they got here. A story about money, power, and corruption. The medical school dean at USC was leading a secret double life. She's breathing. Right now? Yes, she's absolutely breathing. I'm a doctor, actually. There's no way that that guy's a doctor. I'm Paul Pringle. And I'm an investigative reporter for the L.A. Times. This is the story of an investigation that starts in a hotel room in Pasadena, California, and reaches all the way to the top of two of the most powerful institutions in the city of Los Angeles. When people fall in line, they fall in line. Looking back, I realized, oh, everyone knew. This is Fallen Angels, a story of California corruption. We're always going to have predators. It's the good people who stand by and do nothing that allow them to flourish. Listen to Fallen Angels, a story of California corruption on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. So for those of us who are tuning in to Hello Somebody for the first time, I want to welcome you to the show. I'm here with my dear brother, my friend, the one and only Gary Chambers. Many of you may know of him from how he dressed down the school board in Baton. Rouge. Lord have mercy. If you haven't, just go on and Google that and watch that, baby. That will get a fire lit under you like none other. And then he produced this incredible, with an incredible team, a video to lift up the need, 
So since we're going to talk about hot topics, we might as well go on and light it up. But he did this incredible video to draw attention to the need to legalize cannabis, decriminalize it, legalize cannabis in the United States of America. Powerful, powerful video. And as he always says, that that wasn't just about the act that people saw in the video. He was making a larger point about freeing the tree. When I saw it, you know, I sent you a text. I'm sure everybody was texting you by around around that time. But it was so incredible. And it did start a national dialogue again because we go through these ebbs and flows. But you put it right dead center about the legalization of cannabis in the United States. The whole country, we know certain states have legalized it, especially for municipal purposes. But you brought a whole you brought a whole nother level on thought patterns to legalizing cannabis. Well, for me, it's about people like Kevin Allen. Kevin Allen is serving a life sentence in Angola Penitentiary for less than a gram of cannabis and he's been there since twenty thirteen. For me, we did the thirty seven second ad because it's immoral and just and just downright wrong that somebody's sitting in a cage for a plant. And I don't necessarily think about what is most advantageous for us personally when we do things like this. It's more about what is the issue that we know needs to be addressed and how can we cut through the noise with this issue? 19 states are legal. 34 uh, plus states have medicinal legalization. Louisiana takes my tax dollars to grow cannabis at LSU and Southern University, state-funded institutions, but Kevin Allen is in jail yeah. for what the state is legally growing, right? That's problematic, yes, and, and, and it's, it's duplicitous, it's hypocrisy, and I want to see that in. And we have the ability to do something about it. And it's no, it's, it's no different than any other issue that we pick up, Senator. We can do something about health care in this country. We can do something about the environment in this country. We can do something about cannabis legalization. These are things that we have power to do something about. Student loan debt, we have power to do something about it, yet we aren't. And so the question becomes, why? And are we afraid to just like take the stigmas off of this, take the, the controversies off of this? People literally go in California, Colorado, and Illinois into stores that are like candy shops and purchase cannabis. And in southern states, still here in Ohio uh, and other places, if you don't have a, a card, right, uh, in, a, in a medical state, which isn't that easy to come by in every place, you can't consume, right? And, and it's no different than cops being able to use it like stop and frisk. Oh, I smelled uh, marijuana, and, and now it's a reason for me to stop you and detain you and uh, search your vehicle and, and, and violate your rights mm-hmm. in certain states, right? And so that's why uh, some folks say stuff like these yet to be United States of America because the rules aren't the same everywhere. Hey, say that. And when you talk about Kevin Allen, you remind me of a story that Wanda James told me. Wanda James owned Simply Pure, the mm-hmm. first black mm-hmm. woman. Uh, to rock in the cannabis industry in the deep way that she is in Colorado, Denver. And you're right, mine was blown. I went to Denver, Colorado for an Emerge event. It's a group that helps uh, women run for office. And mind blown. I had never, that was my first time being in. It does look all kinds of different flavors and types and and T, T, what, THCs and turpentines and all of that. I was like, wow, but it's beautiful. I mean, it's like going to a jewelry store almost, you know, the packaging and the different. But she tells a story similar to what you're telling that the reason why she got into this industry is because her brother went to prison for, I forgot how many hours, it was, it was, it was very small amount of cannabis 
that he went to prison for it and was working picking cotton. And this was in the 90s. This wasn't that long ago, you know, like mind blown. And she took the story of her brother and that motivated her to get into this industry. So not only is she a businesswoman, I I call her the Madam C.J. Walker of cannabis. She's also an activist and an advocate, too, for changing the federal rules. I mean, like ruined her brother's life over like it probably was a little more than a nickel bag. But I just want people to picture people who understand that lingo, a nickel bag. And this man went to prison. It makes no sense. And similar to, to Kevin Allen. And we know that the forces of law come down harder on black people first than brown people, other people of color. If you poor, it's coming down on you because the system was never designed for poor people. It was designed by uh, people who had more influence and more money and it bends towards their will. And your point about we can do something about it, we absolutely can do something about it and we should do something about it. There was a prohibition on alcohol once upon a time in this country. Right. And And the temperance movement and all that kind of stuff. And that changed. What about cannabis and the war on drugs, how it impacts our communities deeper, the first, more deadly? It's just this cannot stand. So many people, I mean, you, Bill Maher, you were on the Bill Maher show over it. People were talking about this all over the country. What motivated you to touch that topic in that way? Because you made people think it was almost how comedians handle hard topics and they put it out into the world in a way that's satirical, you know, using satire, but it makes people think it, it wasn't preachy, you know, that's, but you, I mean, it was, so it was amazing. Our comms team wrote the script and I think the script really gave us a visual to go for. Erwin Marino, who's my media director, shoots all my videos. Uh, as soon as I read the script out loud, he said he saw the video. And so we got the script on a Friday. We shot the video on Saturday. Amazing. Um, and the video was done on Sunday. And you've had over a million views. Uh, seven million. Seven million. On, on my page. So it's Turner late. About 30 million on social media When overall. you duplicate it all over yeah. and over the imprints. You're probably missing some imprints too. I'm sure. Wow. I'm sure. Lord, have mercy. But it's a teachable moment. And I, I could see for forever somebody's going to pull up that video. <laughs> You know, it's it's gonna be in class because to me, you know, as a college professor, I use real life situations like that to teach my students, and I'm sure you are being talked about in many a classroom, especially on the college level in this country. Erwin has actually gone to speak at some classes, college campus classes, since this. For us, when we capture visuals, we're always looking at how do we tell a story in a way that's not gimmicky. That was very important to me that I not look like a prop or not make this look like something where we were actually glorifying weed or making light of it uh, because it's a serious subject that we were approaching. And so we did the whole suit and tie thing on purpose, the chair. And it just so happened that that day it was cloudy and started raining. (laughs) So we were like, well, the rain works with what we're talking about. So let's just do it, you know, uh, we didn't stop because it started raining. And for me, when when they stopped rolling, I told them, I said, you know, it kind of feels like it fits the mood of what we're talking about. You know, that it, it's sad that Kevin Allen's in jail. It's sad that people are still being arrested for this. And so that's no different than the Confederate flag video or anything else that we're working on. For us, we're always going to push the limit to tell the, the stories uh, that need to be told. But we're going to do that in a way that is visually stimulating.
Well, you all have proven to be hell of a storytellers and people create to the number, you know, our five senses and as many as you can bring into a moment, you put an imprint on people's minds. I mean, you really do have people talking about this. When you hear folks say, because some people believe that marijuana is a gateway drug, Mm -hmm. what would you say to a person who sees cannabis in that way? So two things. One, people who have opioid addictions are said to be able to use cannabis to wean themselves off of opioids. Uh, We know that opioids are causing people to overdose and lose everything that they have, including their lives. Ohio is one of those states that has a ton of people who have struggled with that addiction. And so legalizing cannabis would help people to wean off of opioids. Secondly, I gave this speech in Las Vegas that I do see cannabis as a gateway drug. It is a gateway to better roads, better bridges, better schools, better opportunities in our communities, a new industry that can create jobs and allow us to advance ways in ways that we haven't. Colorado didn't always have the fourth ranked school system in the country, but a billion plus dollars a year in revenue from cannabis, uh, hundreds of millions of dollars of that going into the public schools of Colorado have helped them to go up in their ranking nationally for education because they got the money, right? If you look at the states that are legalized, their crime numbers are lower than Louisiana's. Louisiana ranks 50th in the nation in crime, 49th in opportunity. So you can't tell me that weed is the problem because the states that legalize cannabis have less crime than we do. Well, on that point, (laughs) Brother James, I don't want you to lose your thought, but I just think if we want to mellow folks out. I'm telling you, hello, somebody. Hello, somebody. (laughs) (laughs) Keep it cool. Keep it calm. Puff, puff, pass, or or now it's edible. I mean, you you can, in many forms. There's there's teachers, there's, and I have learned so much. I'm not kidding you. This lady gave a, a rub to us that had THC in it, and it's supposed to help with your joints or inflammation and things like that. And it's some of the best rub that I've ever used on my joints, you know, and I've let other folks use it and it's good. I have a family member of mine who uses a THC tincture. It's very little THC in it, but it helps her to sleep better at night because she gets a deeper sleep as a result of it. She doesn't smoke this. She doesn't do edibles necessarily. She just gets the tincture, puts it under her tongue, waits 25, 30 seconds, and then 20, 30 minutes later, when she goes to sleep, she has a deeper sleep, right? It's better than a prescription drug for her. That's probably why the pharmaceutical industry does it. Is it is exactly why. The pharmaceutical industry is not going to want people to use cannabis because they're not going to take these pills. Hello, somebody. Shouldn't we want more natural remedies for people? We should. We should want people to be able to deal with things in a way that's healthier for them. Cannabis isn't dangerous for the environment either. It doesn't require you to build a bunch of facilities that are detrimental to the environment, right? It grows within our environment. And we can turn that into an industry, an agriculture industry that prospers in many places. And and that's what I want us to, to recognize, that there are medicinal benefits to this, but there's also a business side of this, that this is an agricultural industry that can be grown throughout this country in a way that could transform communities. And it can be a gateway drug, a gateway to better schools, bridges, and a whole community. Gateway to opportunity, baby. And part of that opportunity, I want to see black folks reap the benefits first since black people caught most of the hell on the war on drugs. And then our Mexican sisters and brothers got all caught up in that as well when it comes specifically to cannabis. So black people, other people of color, 
uh, poor people, women. I mean, there's enough for everybody. What I do not want to see, and we did a lot of this, I and mean, we made that clear on the Sanders campaign, as you, you might recall this, which is to make sure that these mega corporations don't get their hands on it before uh, people who paid the price That's right. for it get a chance to reap the benefits through economic viability and businesses. And that is what is happening in most of the states where it is legalized is not necessarily the people who went to prison first, whose lives were torn apart. It really is big business, big industries that dominate the industry for now. We know that this country is going to legalize it eventually. People like you and me and others are pushing forward. Ben Cohen is a big advocate, one of the founders of Ben and Jerry's, and he tells a story about how he smoked cannabis, you know, he would say weed, and he was let go. And what he says is that he believes in his heart that if he was black, he would have went to jail. Mm -hmm. But because he's white, he did not go to jail. And he has a very conscious mind about that. And he's working too. I'm Tamika D. Mallory. And it's your boy, my son, the general. And we are your host of TMI. New year, new name, new energy, but... Same old. <laughs> and catch us every Wednesday on the Black Effect Network, breaking down social and civil rights issues, pop culture, and politics in hopes of pushing our culture forward to make the world a better place for generations to come. But that's not all. We will also have special guests to add their thoughts on the topics, as well as break down different political issues with local activists in their community. If you like to be informed and to expand your thoughts, listen to TMI on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. That's right. We started talking about this incident. Drugs and uh, officials cover up. <laughs> you couldn't believe it. From iHeart Podcasts. It's like the police knew who he was before they got here. A story about money, power, and corruption. The medical school dean at USC was leading a secret double life. He's breathing. Right now? Yes, he's absolutely breathing. I'm a doctor, actually. There's no way that that guy's a doctor. I'm Paul Pringle, and I'm an investigative reporter for the LA Times. This is the story of an investigation that starts in a hotel room in Pasadena, California, and reaches all the way to the top of two of the most powerful institutions in the city of Los Angeles. When people fall in line, they fall in line. Looking back, I realized, oh, everyone knew. This is Fallen Angels, the story of California corruption. We're always going to have predators. It's the good people who stand by and do nothing that allow them to flourish. Listen to Fallen Angels, a story of California corruption, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Knowing that cannabis will be legal at some point in this country, what are your thoughts about how we ensure that the major tobacco companies, the major liquor companies, all of the players that have everything now, that they don't block the sun for the people who really should be reaping a benefit? I can see this closing the wealth gap, too. And black people never did get the 40 acres and a mule. So maybe we get 40 trees and uh, something. I think that on a federal level, and, and anybody who understands federal policy, if you create a federal law, that means that the states can't take anything from you from that 
They can add more rights to you, but they can't take away anything from you beyond what the feds give you. I think that from a federal level, we need to talk about equity because the feds participated in the war on drugs as well, orchestrated oh, they the were, war on drugs, oh, yeah, right? Absolutely. Um, and yeah. so the, the feds should participate in creating policies that talk about equity. I don't oppose companies growing to big companies, right? But I think that they should not grow to big companies at the expense of other people being able to participate in the process. And I want to see us say very intentionally, New York has given the first 100 licenses to people who were previously incarcerated from cannabis. I think we should look at policies like that. New York's policies are not in full implementation yet because they're going legal this year. But I think that we should be looking at bringing in the people in the industry who have been negatively impacted by the lack of uh, inclusion and diversity and let those folks help us craft those policies. Right. Because they understand it and in a real time way because of what has happened. I think when California attempted to do social equity, they were trying to do a good thing. Right. I think that in many cases that that states do try to do the right thing sometimes. But what happens is you may not have thought of everything or you may not have gone through the process with efficiency. I remember when President Obama rolled out Obamacare and the website crashed or something like that. And everybody was talking about the website. Right. Uh, when you roll out new things, everything doesn't always work. Right. right. And so I think that we've got to also just be cognizant of the fact that, you know, if we're intentional about crafting policies with equity at the center of it, then we can go through some of the trial and error that helps us get to what is a real equitable pathway for this. And I think that's possible. Uh, but I think that the federal government has to lead that, because if it doesn't, then states already show you that they're dysfunctional. Yeah, they do. The states' rights didn't work out so well for no. black black folks. It never has. It never has. It never had. And I do believe that, and and we need states to partner. But what you're saying is that the feds have to definitely take the lead. I want to see leaders who will acknowledge that black people cost the most hell first. Don't play around with it. Mm -mm. Your word that you use, equity. You didn't say equality. Equity. I, never use equality. I just want to remind folks that there's a difference between equality and equity. Equity says I'm going to give you. What you need, even if it's a little more than what I have, you know, I love this great visual cartoon mm -hmm. that I used to see about the gate, the fence. Mm -hmm. You know, you the got three. Yeah. Boxes. Yeah. The kids on the boxes. Everybody's a different height. And the one that is the shortest has to have a higher crates. And that don't bother the other because now everybody can see over the fence. We all looking over the fence. It, it addresses the deficit. The, the the equality just says, I'm going to give everybody the same thing. Equity says, you have a deficit. Let me address that deficit to make sure that we get to the same point. If I give everybody the same thing, but we're not all at the same level, then you never address my deficit and we never reach the same point. Come on. You know, and so, and America understands this because America was intentional about creating those deficits. You better say that. And so if you were intentional about creating those deficits, if you are to be true to what you said on paper, that all men are created equal and endowed by their creator with unalienable rights, then you have an obligation to address that disparity and that deficit. And, and so uh, I, in the words of Dr. King, I'm just asking America to be true to what it said on paper. I know that's right. That's it. Address the deficit. <laughs> We can, we can fix the deficit. So we're using cannabis as the framework for our conversation mainly today. Something that you just said, the deficit was created on purpose. Let's peel that back a little bit because I don't think some people really get it or have really thought about it deeply. That there are systems and or structures in place that keep certain people where they are. It doesn't mean that they're not people who are going to break out of the system, but that 
it, from a global perspective, there are systems there. The legal system is one example of a system that has already determined you got to pay bail. So a lot of people in this country are in jail. They ain't been charged with nothing. They can't make bail. That's one example of a system. When we look at education that's based on property taxes, both personal property taxes or business property taxes, same thing. If you live in a high wealth district where the property values both personal or homes and then businesses, commercial, that was the word I was looking for, commercial. Then if you live in a high wealth district with high property values, then the amount of money that's going to go to the schools to pay for the children who live in those communities will be more versus a child that's rocking in Cleveland where the property values, be they commercial or private homes, are not. That's another example of systems. I'm sure you can throw some other systems. My base question is, why do you think so many people just accept the system as it is? When you ain't never seen different, you don't know if there, things can be different. And so I think that it's not a lack of desire because people always want better. I think it's a lack of understanding how. And when people don't understand how do we change these things, then they're often not as motivated to, to put in that work because they don't know to what end they're working. I think for us, the position we're in really just requires us to be more intentional about educating our folks about how we got here, that folks were methodical and intentional, that they sat and they thought about, oh, well, if we do this, then this would impact black people this way. Like they literally, when they had this new Southern strategy, when Nixon was running for president, part of it, they said, well, you can't say the N word. You can't go around saying N, 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 right? Uh, what you can do is you can talk about crime. You can talk about violence and you can change the language, but the message will still get out to the people that we're trying to talk to. The people in the suburbs, the middle-aged white woman or her husband, those folks who are just above poverty to want to hold on to what they have and have some level of resentment if somebody else gets an opportunity that they feel like misses makes them miss an opportunity, right? right? America was intentional about weeding into that. America was intentional about saying that they were going to draw certain lines to put certain people in this neighborhood and say that banking was allowed to not give people loans in these neighborhoods. America was intentional about saying that certain people literally in loan documents to say that the home couldn't be sold to black people. Redlining. Right? Mm -hmm. Like like there are literal people who restrictive covenants. Who were Red told entity. that they couldn't sell their home right. to somebody if they were a Negro. That's right. right. This was legally allowed in this country. And so if those things were they were intentional. And HUD participated in it. And so when you when you process that, how did we get here? Some people sat in a room and had a conversation. Yeah they did. Just Bro like what we're doing right now. Yeah. Now, I'm a paraphrase for Brother Agnew, but he said that we sit at the table and we whisper about a thing. We talk about health care for everybody. We, we talk about uh, job opportunities for everybody. We talk about a Green New Deal. But Sister Turner goes out and she says that thing loud. He says, she says the, the quiet things loud. Ooh, it blessed me. <laughs> it blessed me too. You both. Y'all bad. Y'all are bad. And I told him, for the record, I'm stealing it. You're going to hear me say it again. I'm going to say it. You're going to attribute it to I'm him a few times and the then first that's time, and that's, and that's it. it. That's it. That's it. We might as well call this the first time. The first time. <laughs> Brother Agnew. We're talking about the great Philip Agnew from Chi-Town originally, but many of you may know of him because he helped to found a tremendous group that put the pressure 
on elected people and communities. When Trayvon Martin was murdered, the name of the group is the Dream Defenders. Uh, it's being ran right now by some other sharp folks. But that that group really set it up, set it off. And then now he helps to run a group that I, the name alone just says so much, Black Men Build. Think about that. I mean, you're talking about a paradigm shift in your mind, mm-hmm. an organization called Black Men Build. And it's in Miami, Florida. They have chapters all over the country, and I hope they continue to grow. Black Men Do Build. Brother Chambers, what motivates you? Zoe. My daughter. Your baby. My daughter. She is the driving force, but keeps me going, wanting to give her a world better than the one we inherited. Yeah. What about you? Yeah, it's, that's the same thing. My son, I, I love the ground he walks on. He's the best thing I ever did in my life. Mine too. Yeah. Ooh, we. What motivates you out there? Y'all got us going deep today. Well, I'm so glad. Look, hot topics turned into one or two. But I'm glad we had a chance to have this this conversation. So if people want to get involved in your campaign, the work, the justice work, because you have an organization bigger than me mm-hmm. that you started. Talk a little bit about bigger than me and then let folks know how they can reach you if they want to get involved and help you on this justice mission that you're on. Well, bigger than me is an organization that we are using to help people of like minded views get trained up and ready to be elected in office, as well as to help mobilize communities around the issues that are important to the next generation of people in this country. How do you get involved with our campaign, ChambersForLouisiana.com? You can send an email to info at ChambersForLouisiana.com if you've got a question or anything like that. If you want to volunteer, you can send an email to volunteer at ChambersForLouisiana.com. But you can go to the website and everything's there about how you can get locked in and loaded. And we need people from every corner of this country to make phone calls and help us. We're even going to drive folks in on buses later this year by train, plane, bus, a car, walk, whatever you got to do. Just come on down south and help us get this vote out. (laughs) (laughs) Hello, somebody. I heard that and I will be coming. Yes, ma'am. Be side by side in Louisiana. Here I come, baby. Brother Chambers, I'm glad. I'm glad that God put on your heart to be a freedom fighter. And I'm glad you out there fighting for the people. Same. Hey, game recognized game, baby. Spirit recognized spirit. I hope you all enjoyed this conversation. I want you to give some thought to what motivates you as well. All right. Hello, somebody, because everybody is somebody. I want you to keep the faith and I want you to keep the fight. Now, you can't have the faith without the fight. Faith without works? Dead. Dead, baby. We alive. The pain is numbing Try to shoot for the stars if you gon' aim for something Embrace the love for your brother and sister Unity's the missing brush, we need to puzzle this picture Let's paint it up, frame it up, for the world to see Hang the hatred up Enough is enough, is enough, making changes on us In Turner, her voice is the truth Her wise words inspire the youth to keep their eyes on the roof It's the end, never give up, keep conquering goals To the eye, intelligence, silver, wisdom is gold Back to the end, now is your time, stay firm, don't fold To the A, all you need is the three bones That's what Granny said Now I'ma make sure these words from Granny spread For all of here, just give her your ear She can take you to the promised land, I swear World peace is what they fear Queens to Cleveland, Ohio, we here. Famous. Famous. Famous.
Hello Somebody is a production of iHeartRadio and the Black Effect Network. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. Something that makes me crazy is when people say, well, I had this career before, but it was a waste. And that's where the perspective shift comes, that it's not a waste that everything you've done has built you to where you are now. This is She Pivots, the podcast where we explore the inspiring pivots women have made and dig deeper into the personal reasons behind them. Join me, Emily Tish sussman every Wednesday on She Pivots. Listen to She Pivots on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. MTV's official Challenge podcast is back for another season. And so are we. I'm Tori Deal. And I'm Anissa Ferreira. The wait is over, guys. All Stars 4 is finally here. And this season takes it to a whole new level. Old school legends, modern power players, and ex-lovers are all competing in Cape Town, South Africa for the prize of $300,000. And we're going to be right here along with you fans covering every episode on the podcast. Listen to MTV's official challenge podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.